All right, let's get start now talking about care of the client diagnosed with, with cancer. We're going to talk about, uh, for, for the exam, here's what you need to know. Again, I'm going to start out after these introductory slides, I'm going to give you some statistics and things, again, that will not be on the test. It's to put, just to put this into context. And the reason I do that is, is because we talk about so many things in nursing classes, and sometimes it's hard to tell what's very obscure from what's very common. Cancer is something that's very common. So we're going to be talking about cancer warning signs because that's a big part of the nursing role in early identification. I am going to speak very generically about different cancer treatments, radiations and chemotherapies. Um, I do not get into specifics about all the individual chemotherapies. Anything that you need to know about individual care, chemotherapies, though, I will tell you that you should know this. Um, nursing role in during treatment while people are being treated for cancer and also uh, when you're giving chemotherapies or involved with somebody with radiation, what to do. Spend a lot of time talking about the complications of treatment because the complications, there are a lot of complications associated with cancer treatment. And then the nursing role with trying to prevent those from occurring and managing them when they do. And then at the very, very end, we'll talk about some, also some end of life issues and therapeutic communication issues and things, things like that. Uh, what is cancer? Well, every part of your body, every cell in your body can get it, either one or multiple kinds of cancer. Uh, in your bone marrow cells alone, um, there, there are over a dozen different kinds of cancer that, that, they, can, that they can get. Uh, the, the definition is just uncontrolled growth or spread of abnormal cells. What they are are your, your, normal, your, your regular cells all have a function. Every cell, every, like imagine a liver cell. You're, you have a liver cell and it waits for toxins and things to come and it breaks them down and helps excrete, gets, excretes them and turns in things for your, own, for your own metabolism. But when a liver cell becomes cancerous, what it starts doing is just eating and growing and doesn't do all the stuff that it's supposed to do. Slack, it becomes a slacker. Just sits around the house eating, eating, but doesn't do its job, doesn't go to work. And that's what a cancer cell is. So they're abnormal. One of the difficulties in cancer treatment is that where normally if you have an infection, how is, why is your body able to get rid yourself of an infection but not cancer? What is it about an infection that lets your body help fight it? So let's say a bacterial infection, Ashley. Right. The body recognizes that that bacteria, it doesn't belong to me. It's not me. And so it then has, it sends a, uh, the antibodies uh, and the uh, other immune responses uh, affect it. So why isn't that happening in cancer? Hmm? It's your own cells. The surface antigen of your cancer cells is you. So your immune system does not know, is not going to, you know, in most cases, does not attack itself. So it doesn't know, it doesn't do anything about it. It just lets it grow and grow and grow. And that's, that's really at the heart of the difficulty in treating cancer over other kinds of diseases that, that can attack our, attack our bodies. 
you see the number of cases uh, from a few years ago. The numbers are relatively the same every year, about 1.4 million, 1.3 to 1.4 million people uh, in, uh, in the U.S., uh, newly diagnosed cases with over half a million deaths. Um, we, you know, here in our, in our own department, we're, we were affected with um, Mary Starr uh, about a year ago, was diagnosed uh, with her cancer, and uh, as you saw, she, it, within, within a matter of months, uh, she was gone. So it affects, it affects all of us. Uh, in my own family, um, my, my father had bladder cancer, uh, which then metastasized um, to his liver. And he, didn't, he lived uh, about one year after, after diagnosis. Um, just how many people in their immediate families has had somebody with cancer? You know, raise your hand. If you look around the room, look, you can see that even in this sample here, it looked like more than half uh, the folks in the room have had somebody in an, as an immediate family member um, affected, affected by it. Um, one interesting statistic, though, that, and I, I keep hearing, particularly oncologists, say that if, if, if all smoking stopped today, within 20 or 30 years, we would see a huge drop in the numbers of deaths per year, the, number, the rates of a lot of the cancers and the deaths from a lot of the cancers. And I'm going to show you a, a slide that really illustrates how, how smoking is associated um, with that. Um, it's considered the second leading cause. What's the number one cause of death in the U.S.? Heart disease, right. It's estimated that 70% of people over 55 will get some form of cancer in their, uh, in their lifetime. Uh, and, and it gets, I'm sorry, 77% of, of people with cancer are older than 75 is what I'm trying to say. And for men, 50% uh, will sometime in their life get some sort of some form of cancer, and for women, it's about a third. Um, there is a hereditary risk to cancer. It does run in families, but it's it's fairly um, weak hereditary risk. Um, it depending, there are some certain kinds of cancers that have very strong genetic links. There are certain forms of breast cancer, for example, that have that they have identified very strong genetic links. Um, but that doesn't apply to all breast cancers, for example. Um, so, like in my case, with you know, I have a slightly higher risk of bladder cancer now because it is you know I can see it because of it being in my family. <coughs> but it's not it's not a huge hugely um, greater population. Most of the cancers seem to come from uh, just from living long enough and being exposed to. Uh, environmental damages and those things that can damage us are in the environment so chem it's very associated with certain chemicals a lot of organic chemicals um, benzenes you've heard about benzenes in, in chemistry remember those um, what are some other chemicals that are in in the environment that are associated with cancers you don't need to give me the technical names but do you know like the t types yeah pesticides. pesticides yeah a lot of pesticides um, yeah, that's not. Hmm. Lead. Um. 
cancers associated with lead. I'm trying to think. I think it's neurologic problems, but some mercury, yeah. Those are those associated with with some of the neurologic problems. So a lot of the org, yeah, a lot of the yeah radiation. But the, you're right. But I'm like looking for other chemicals now. We said pesticides, Brianna. Radon, yeah, it's part of radiation. Herbicides, pesticides, Chuck. And what things we find organophosphates in? <laughs> I don't know. PCBs. Nitrates, yes. Food, a lot of foods have nitrates nitrates in them, right, and when you grill foods, a lot of times that can increase the number of nitrites in, or nitrates in food. Nitrites are used as preservatives. Those, those are two chemicals that are associated. So food, preserved foods, chemically preserved foods, the, the, those chemicals aren't good. PCBs, uh, which were used, are used in a lot of, um, as an insulator, um, in electrical stations and things like that. They leach into the soil. Uh, ever hear of Love Canal, which was a place in, in uh, New York near Buffalo? The whole town had to be evacuated and moved out because the levels of PCBs were so great and the number of cancers was, was very, very high. Uh, several of you have mentioned radiation. Um, what kinds of radiation do we get exposed to? Uh, Brianna said radon. Where does radon come from? What do you know? Right, it comes out of the soil. Uh, we have fairly high levels of radon here in, in Pennsylvania. Uh, it, it's emitted from the bedrock. Uh, it comes up through the soil. And it used to not be much of an issue, but as we build our houses tighter and more energy efficient, the radon comes up through the basement and then stays in the house. So we're breathing higher levels of radon. And newer, a lot of houses now are built, with, you'll, you may see, they build a pipe, just a, clear, a, a plastic pipe that goes from the basement all the way to the attic with the idea of venting, vent, venting that. If the levels are high enough, they actually will attach a little electric fan to it to actually draw the, and blow the, and, and try to empty the, the basement of the radon. So radon is one form, so, form of radiation that we get exposed to. UV rays, which is from what? sunlight and from tanning booths. So when you guys go down to Melanomas R Us for your spring tans, you're not really doing your skin any, any favors. Um, what other sources of radiation might we run into in the environment? Microwaves have not really been shown to be much. Uh, it, they don't, the, the newer microwaves really don't leak very much. Mostly microwave radiation, it's, it's a radio wave and it does, it can affect um, machinery, um, but it hasn't, most people don't work around, it, you know, get exposed that much. Yeah. Good question. Uh, there's a question about cell phones and uh, brain tumors. 
Um, the cell, the older cell phones, if, you've, if you guys remember, the, you ever see pictures of the original cell phones that were really big, those things emitted a lot of power. And if you, and if you kept it by your, by your head all day, uh, there was questions about how good that was for your brain. Uh, newer cell phones, if you'll notice that they have, uh, there's actually a radiation number that's associated with different kinds of phones. It has to be below a certain level. Um, there are a lot of people walking around all day with the cell phone like this. Uh, there hasn't been shown to be any kind of real rise in, in brain tumors, and so it's really thought that the, that the risk seems to be pretty low. But as more and more people are doing this, more particularly your generation, as you guys spend more and more time you know, with hours a day on the phone, now you've got the unlimited minutes, so there's no reason to ever take it away from your ear. Um, you, you know, we may, not see, we may not see it for 20 or 30 years, but it could, it could happen. That's the problem with a lot of these things is that they can take a very long time um, to develop. Now, there's other sources of radiation in the environment um, that, are, that are rarer when you go to the, if you go to the medical imaging, you know, in, in the hospital, we have uh, big thick walls, lead lining, all kinds of things to, to keep us from being exposed to that. Certain people in certain jobs get exposed to radiation if you're, if you're working, working around certain um, uh, kinds of equipment that, you, that require radiation. Uh, but the general population, it's sunlight uh, and, and radon really are the biggest, biggest exposures to, to um, radiation. It's also thought that there may be cancer viruses that have yet to be identified, or that there's, just like when we talked about with diabetes and an autoimmune thing, there's also thought that there could be a, a virus or something that then triggers, you might have a susceptibility to it genetically, and then a virus may be triggering these oncogenes to go on and start developing tumors. Uh, there's nothing identified uh, quite quite yet to, to say that, at least. Oh, the HPV. Yeah, that's good. I'm glad you mentioned that. With the HPV virus, they have found that a certain percentage of folks that are that are exposed to HPV are at greater risk for uh, cervical cancers. Now, not. Right, but it's, it's, very, it's a limited number. But the thought was, is with the HPV vaccine, if we can prevent those infections, then because there seems to be later, later on down the road higher rates of cervical cancers with those women, that this will, be, this will, will reduce, I, th I think they're talking 30 40% reduction in cervical cancer rates if t teenage girls get the, uh, the vaccine. And that's why some states have gone ahead and, and mandated an HPV vaccine. Um, just to show you some statistics, between 1950, for example, and, and 2002, which was the newest statistics I could find that compared things like this, these are death, um, death rates. And the yellow was 1950 and the black was 2002. You can see heart disease went way, way down. And what do you, what do you attribute that to? Chelsea? Right, but what, what changed in the U.S. population between 1950 and 2002 to, to more than have the, the heart, heart disease death rate? Yeah. Partly what they eat, what else happened? 
partly aware of risk factors, but there's one thing that's even bigger. Uh, yeah, treatments, uh, treatments for heart disease and surgery, bypass surgeries and things like that where people used to just get heart attacks and die doesn't happen as much anymore. But there's one general behavior across the, across the country that changed between 50 and 2000. This may be before your time, so smoking. That was the number one thing. The rates of smoking in 1950 compared to 2002 are uh, enormously different. In, in 1950, uh, in, some in some demographic groups, more than half people smoked. Uh, now across the U.S., it's, it's, um, it's going below 25%. I think it's approaching 20% smoking rate. So that, that change in behavior alone accounted for, for that big for that big drop. Uh, notice the uh, stroke went down, and again, that's probably just from, from more people exercising, eating better, um, better, better drugs. Pneumonias, deaths from pneumonias dropped in half from antibiotics. But I also wanted you to point out, point out this. Here's the death rate for cancer, 1950-2002. Notice that that didn't change all that much. And that often is a very surprising statistic to people because they think we've made all of these great advances in cancer, but what I wanted to point out is that we haven't, and that the biggest changes occur from behavior changes more than uh, treatments that have become available. Uh, when you break down men and women estimated cancer cases, and you can see here that uh, prostate cancers are greatest for men, breast cancers are the largest percentage for, uh, for women, the next group, next biggest group for both men and women are lung cancers. Third is colon and rectal cancers, and then the, and then the mixture changes. But you can see that lung, colon, lung and colon have actually the, the same percentages for both men and women. There's a, just shows you percent of all deaths with heart disease number one and then going, going on down. And you see these numbers percentage-wise, percentage you know, just hundreds and hundreds of thousands of, of people a year dying from heart disease, dying from cancer. These other things that we worry about, the other things that we, we've talked a lot about, um, are much, much lower in number. Make a little pie chart there, just makes it a little easier to see that lung, lung cancer, biggest killer of men, Um, for, for cancer deaths in women, lung cancer, and breast cancer. Now here's the thing I want you to, this again looks at a very interesting pattern. This is going back to 1930, looking at what men died of uh, with, when they died of different kinds of cancer. Uh, this yellow line represents lung cancer. So you see it's been going up and up and up and then it has dropped precipitously since 1990. And what's that from? Why did it go up like this? Does anybody know their history, why it went up like that? Who's a historian here? Morning. Right, we came out of the depression, the US came out of the depression, smoking is expensive. We came out of the depression uh, with a lot of addicted smokers, and so they started spending spending money on smoking. They used to. My dad was in World War II. They gave him cigarettes in his ra daily ration. 
you, had, you got little packets of cigarettes. And even when I was in the Air Force in the 80s, they were still allowing, smoking wasn't as restricted, and we would be out doing some maneuvers or something, and they would say, uh, smokers, you can go take 15 minutes, go over there and smoke. Anybody who's not smoking, come over here and help us build this tent. So there was incentive for folks to say, oh, I'm a smoker today, you know, and head over to the, head over to the, to the, to the group. So there was an incentive a lot of times for, for, for people to smoke. But in 1964, when the Surgeon General came, finally said, and finally said that there is this direct link with smoking and, and cancer. In 1970, before 1970, there was lots and lots of commercials on TV encouraging Smoking. Have you seen? Have you seen that? You guys are all too young to remember them, but there was there was it was regularly advertised. So smoking rates began to de decline in the 60s, and about 30 years later, the death rate started to go down too. Another one I wanted you to look at here is stomach cancers. Very very high in 1930. Very very low. In fact, that's the only cancer that really shows any kind of dramatic change. Notice that the others are relatively flat. The death rates haven't changed despite all the advances in treatment and care. People are still dying at about the same rates. But what what is it that's changed in the United States about that might have caused a change in stomach cancer? This one's a little trickier to figure out. Better eating and eating, and it's it's definitely directed to eating. But do you know, do you know what? Yeah. Yeah. There was FDA, which meant for safer safer foods. And what else about the food that we ate that changed? I'm hearing it. Somebody's whispered. Preservatives, right? Before 1930, in 1930, how many people had electric refrigerators in their house? Very few. It was just, a, it was a new technology, it was very expensive. Depression came along, not everybody, a lot of people still use, my mother and father had ice boxes, which meant that a man came with ice, and you put a block of ice in a wooden box that was insulated, and that's, and it does not keep your food very cold. So preservatives were vital in order for you to have enough food on hand. The idea of having frozen foods, uh, ready, you know, and, and, and well refrigerated foods, even your milk and things like that was never kept at a very cold temperature when you kept it in an ice box. So that's, so the, so the, the, re, the use of refrigeration, the decrease in smoked meats, uh, preserved foods is really the biggest change here. And I just wanted to point that out because it's, again, it's behavioral changes that have done more for changes in, in cancer, cancer treatment. And if you look for women, you'll see the same, that there's a giant drop there. And also the other drop that women have is in uterine cancer, and that came from better detection, pap smears, uh, earlier, earlier detection, uh, and, and because it's, if it's detected early, treatment, the um, long-term results are very, very good. And you'll notice for women, they increased in smoking too, but notice that their curve went up much later, and it's still rising. And you know why that is? Okay. Yeah. What happened? Yeah. What happened? Yeah. Why? Do you know why it was later? More more women began to smoke. That's right. And you know when they began to do that? The men started in the in World War II. When did the women start to smoke? Hmm. Yeah. In the sick, fifth, late fifties, 
through the 60s, they began to increase. And there is a 30-year, there seems to be a 30-year window you get to smoke, and then, the can and then the lung cancer start hitting. And so they were delayed in that, and so they're still rising. And until women's smoking rates start going down, you won't see, you're going to, that's, it'll be 30 years later that you'll see the drop. Very, very expensive, you know, even when we looked at the numbers for, for diabetic care, you can see you're talking hundreds of billions of dollars a year in direct, uh, in costs uh, to our society from, from cancer. Now, cancer in kids is a whole different, whole different story, and it's getting to be 11 o'clock, and I've really held you too long, so let's stop and take a break. Sorry about that.